I'm the senior consultant, remember <laughs> that? Okay. <laughs> there are things that you're senior at and then there are things that I'm senior at. Like what? Consulting. <laughs> David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget when my eyebrow goes up. It's a joke. Police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past few years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Zip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker. They say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I'm Maddie Burgess-Smith and with me is Senior Consultant Byron Terrace. Wow, what a week it's been. Uh, I think in, uh, in all things politics and uh, certainly policy, We've seen a lot of energy, and I think uh, everyone's going to be really interested to see what happened to the blue team, which we're going to talk about at length today. We we're going to talk at length about Wellington issues, and we are joined later by our guest, Simon Arcus, the Chief Executive of Business Central in the Wellington Chamber of Commerce. And also, Matty, you're going to talk about the police. Yeah, I'm going to talk a bit about gun violence as well. But let's get underway. My peak of the week is obviously the blue team rising from the ashes. The Blue Phoenix. The Blue Phoenix rises once again. And I genuinely think this has been a reset for the National Party. Um, We're recording this on Wednesday. So uh, yesterday, Christopher Luxon and Nicola Willis were named the leader and deputy leader of the New Zealand National Party. Obviously you had that toss and turn coming up. Will it be Bridges? Will it be him? Being in that caucus room, I feel like a lot of your thinking would have been, do we take a punt on the new guy or do we put our vote towards the tried and true leader, someone who's been here before and knows the ropes? At the end of the day, Bridges was going to be a temporary leader. I think they've made the right decision as a caucus, and I think the fact that it didn't have to go to a vote was also a really good look for them. Luxon's first day, he had it for six. When we saw him in that banquet hall, he did phenomenally. That speech was crisp, it was clear, it was the messaging that the National Party leaded. Compare that to the, the first innings of, of Todd Muller, he that. The only innings of Todd Muller. Yeah, absolutely. And the 499 days of the Collins ruling where she failed to stay on script, she failed to reach Middle New Zealand in any of her messaging. I think this is a true reset of the National Party and I'm excited to see how they shape up their front bench over the next week. You don't feel the same though, I can see it in your eyes. So, well, it's an interesting it's an interesting one. So for a little bit of background, uh, just for those uh, listeners overseas that may not be as up to date with uh, the New Zealand, the state of New Zealand politics... So the, the way that we've been told about this in the Beltway is that on that fateful Thursday night, Simon Bridges turns up to Judith Collins and says, I've got the numbers. You don't have the confidence of caucus anymore. She plays the reverse Uno card and decides to burn down the house with Simon Bridges in it and also the other 33 colleagues of the National Party. By saying you said something rude at a staff function five years ago in the presence of a colleague who's come and ratted you out in just a random conversation with me a few weeks ago. So that led to the bizarre accusations of uh, bullying, harassment, inappropriateness on Simon Bridges' part to another caucus colleague. It also led to Judith Collins saying that she had consulted the board of the National Party about a demotion inside caucus. Which she had not. Which was proven about a couple of hours later um, from Tover O'Brien on News Hub. So, the next day, 7am, Simon Bridges swans up to media and says this is a despicable act, this is desperate from the leader, and announces that they're going into caucus. And that he will be moving a vote of no confidence against her. It was some real alpha energy from Cyberi, who was uh, 
you know, caught up in this really kind of furor around bullying and harassment and, and inappropriate conduct. A three-hour caucus meeting takes part, takes place. And no one emerges victorious from that meeting except for one Dr Shane Reti, the interim leader of the National Party for the weekend. In the scheme of National Party leaderships, 48 hours, not bad. <laughs> not bad at all. So Dr Shane turns up, and of course he's a very calm and measured character. He said a wonderful thing. He said this is not a good day for the National Party. He just stated the obvious, and I thought that was great. And he takes you know, four days to decide, right, this is how we're going to run it. And the media commentary over that weekend went nuts. It was Bridges versus Luxon. Mark Mitchell's name was thrown in there. Chris Bishop decided to light a little fire over here and say, maybe I throw my name in. Keep the people warm. And so everybody was waiting for that 3pm announcement on the Tuesday. Every single major news outlet, every single major Twitter user in New Zealand was all over this Bridges v Luxon battle, the battle of the Blue Goliaths. But it wasn't much of a battle, was it? Because at some point they went behind the bike sheds and cracked a Garage Project Happy Days together and they struck a deal. And it was, a, from my perspective, I believe it was a strong game of brinkmanship on both their behalf. I think so too. I think Bridges probably knew uh, deep down, as much as I love a comeback story, a bit of a Lazarus, a bit of an underdog, as much as I love that kind of idea, you can almost say that Luxon was the most logical choice. And so they struck a deal on the Tuesday. And we saw Nicola Willis, blue suit, Chris Luxon, shining, shining dome. Glimmering dome. Strutting along the corridors of Parliament to the Banquet Hall. With one of the crispest pink shirts and tie combos that you will ever see. And that's the end of story time. If there's one thing that Chris has got going for him is that his 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 name is really easily kind of um, buggered up. You know, Jacinta Ardern, John Keyes and his rich mates, and now Christopher Luxton. Yeah. So you've, if you, as a Prime Minister, you know, Clark with an E. Clark with an E. Yeah, how do you spell bulger is, or is it bulger? You know, bulger wheat? I can't even remember. It's, he, you've got to have a last name that can at least be buggered up. So I think he's got that going. I, I will say, I, I don't think this is the end of the National Party's woes. I could, I could see um, some commentary in the media, some commentary on Twitter saying that, yes, it is a blue phoenix rising again. But voters, I don't think, will quickly you know, forget about the, the last four years of turmoil in the opposition and that right now, sitting inside the National Party caucus, over 10% have been leader or deputy leader. Okay. All right. I actually knew you were going to come out with that number. Yeah. yeah no, and I think you're right. And I, I would fall short of saying that, you know, potentially there's um, Deadwood still sitting within that caucus there. There's no doubt about that. But there's Deadwood sitting everywhere. There is. My pit of the week is still the state of the opposition. And I think they've got a long way to go before they can regain the trust of New Zealand and especially middle New Zealand. Well, my glass is half full then because my it's it's my peak of the week, the fact that they're on that journey. And when when we talk about yesterday's speech, I think he spoke directly to those voters that you're referring to, that, that middle New Zealand idea. Yeah, he absolutely did touch on COVID, but he understands, or, or the National Caucus going forward, understand that COVID is this government's thing. And whilst the last couple of weeks have been, been tougher for them, they're still the people that saved grandma. I think this next national party are going to hone in on Heartland's issues and the things that matter most to New Zealanders. Luxon got up there and said, you know, the things that matter are how we educate our children, how we keep us keep us safe from crime and gangs. And, and he spoke directly to New Zealanders and their mental health. He spoke about emissions. I, when did we ever see any of those topics or thoughts come out of Collins? How does middle New Zealand cross the road? To get to the other side? Middle New Zealand doesn't 
use a Mercedes to cross the road okay. to go from the Kate Shepherd apartments to he the door. He was going at to be completely bombarded by the media. I just think he's got to be really careful about uh, his image and portraying uh, a, a sense, guy. but uh, portraying the rich guy. I mean, he was honestly, uh, if you could see him standing there in one of the nicest suits in Parliament right now, that. That will be that will be an issue, and I think brand will be a struggle for him. The first question he was asked up on the podium was about his faith. I, I understand because it is a, he is a conservative MP, and there will be you know swathes of New Zealand that do worry about that. And it has been it has been made a big thing about Chris Luxon in the past. So I understand why that's the first question. Yeah, sure, it's about religion. It's a bit of a touchy subject, but he's a big boy and he can handle it. Willis has got to be loud and proud about the strong urban liberal that she is and she's got to wear that like a badge of honour because they do make a great pair up there. There's only one voter base in New Zealand that really does matter when it comes to changing elections and that's middle-class mums. Women change government. And I think that was apparent in their first address where they spoke directly to educating people's kids, keeping people's parents healthy, being able to pay your rent or your mortgage. So that's you know that's your glass half full, and my glass half empty. So what's your glass half empty? My this glass week? half empty is gun violence. Now mm. I'm bringing this on to the podcast because it's topical because we've just seen the um, the Glen Eden police shooting over the last 48 hours that's just finished unfolding, and that story there wasn't a breaking news headline. It's just another news day in West or South Auckland, and gun violence in this country is a really really large issue at the moment. Now the Union for Police Officers says gun violence is now a daily occurrence for them and the job is becoming increasingly risky. Three officers were shot in West Auckland yesterday and another was struck by a fleeing vehicle on Sunday. I pulled up some stats on it. You've had 916 firearms incidents between um, between the beginning of the year and Oct- October 1st. Five people have died as a result of gun violence and, and hundreds of serious assaults. I, I think, you know, in a country where we're now talking about the potential for arming our police, I think we should be incredibly concerned about that. I, I also want to take this opportunity to touch on what I think has been the biggest failure in public policy in, in my time at Iron Duke Partners, and that's been the gun buyback scheme. You cannot say that's been a success. While instances of gun violence are... On the rise. On the meteoric rise. I think uh, I, I agree with your points. It's really a bizarre situation when we've had a gun buyback. We made a big song and dance after the tragic shootings uh, in Christchurch to be able to take the guns off the bad guys, and now we've seen cops shot, cops pass away. We've, we've seen, seen other people, just bystanders, people the having their houses shot up. It was a granddad. And that really... That's not the New Zealand that I thought I was living in, personally. But the thing is, Byron, is it the New Zealand that you're living in? It, it, it's certainly not happening in and around the CBD Wellington where we're both fortunate to live. But if you're someone in West and South Auckland, those are currently incredibly unsafe communities to be living in. Gun violence, and, and some of these numbers that I'm talking about, 916 incidents, instances within nine months, is actually a proxy for law and order in this country. Well, you need the blue team to rise, don't you? <laughs> you do need the blue team to so um, that's gun violence, and that's that's absolutely my rant of the day. It's absolutely abhorrent for New Zealand, and I'm I'm really sad to be seeing that. And to again, front frontline police being armed and saying they feel unsafe and need to be armed. That's that's not a place that Anyone I want to be. Anyone saying they feel unsafe. Exactly. Um, where do you want to be? Well, where do where do I want to be? That actually takes me nicely to my peak uh, of the week, and I think this this city, uh, Wellington. 
uh, is my peak in terms of the Let's Get Wellington Moving proposals have uh, finally been revealed. They were revealed about uh, 14 days ago, about two weeks ago. And we've finally seen what the future of transport and future of movement in the city, and my favourite bit is that it includes another tunnel under Mount Victoria, mm. so I might be able to get to the airport just a little bit quicker. I think you'll flash your lights in that one. No, you, no, no, it's definitely a tooting tunnel. It's always a tooting tunnel. It's Wellington. Come on, man. Uh, but the reason I think this is so important is because it has just been an inert process. I've said that it's been my pit before. Let's get Wellington moving is just not. But it's starting to show signs where the rubber is starting to hit the road. And for that, for our city, which uh, many of the listeners live in, it just turns to gridlock on the weekend. It turns to gridlock just at times where you'd think, why on earth is there traffic? And then you kind of end up with these dead spaces, these dead precincts in the city. I look at Civic Square around the library and if you can get transport at least on the right path I think then a lot of other issues will flow on uh, from that and a lot of other solutions will flow on from that as well um, so that's that's my peak of the week and we'll be talking to Simon Arcus shortly uh, the Chief Executive of Business Central and Wellington Chamber of Commerce about the future of our city the challenges that business face and also uh, on the Let's Get Wellington moving topic uh, what role that and other council work programs have to play in the success of the city Cool, brilliant. We're joined today by Simon Arcus, the Chief Executive of Business Central and the Wellington Chamber. In your past, you've had a pretty interesting trans-Tasman career with uh, Mercer Capital, Master Builders Victoria, and the Chief Executive on this side of the Tasman of the Institute of Directors. So thanks for coming along today, Simon. Thanks for having me today, Byron. Brilliant. So what made you come back? Look, I think a number of factors, a bit of the stars aligning. A wonderful job came up, obviously, with Business Central and the Chamber. I still have family here and really Wellington's still home, very much my first love. So we were always going to return to little jaunts to Melbourne and then Texas, uh, but pleased to be back now. Texas? Yeah, yeah uh, my partner went and uh, did some lecturing for a, a year in Texas, but we're in uh, solid Trump country, uh, 70% Trump voter in Smith County, Ooh. that where we were, So that's, but that's a whole other podcast, I think, Byron. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> and so obviously, you know, Melbourne, the, yeah. the Wellington of Australia, what do you think makes our Wellington here great? It's actually a city built for contemporary experience or contemporary life. It's small, it's easy to get around. You have this amazing ecosystem around the city for cycling, walking, recreation, and people like that these days. And in fact, a, a smaller accessible CBD, people are realising is what is what they enjoy, what they like living in. Brilliant. And of course, Wellington is not only the public service, there's a thriving kind of business community here. So what are the business conditions in this city like at the moment? And how is business finding the current climate? Well, you're right about the public service. It's a great point to make. And in fact, we have not only the arts capital, which we hear a lot about, but there is actually a, a huge number of architects, creative people in marketing, design and other kind of uh, work going on here that we don't talk about enough and that actually we should be celebrating and making a feature of the city. For business, look, I mean, there's a couple of things. One is that obviously you've got uh, the challenges of COVID, which are uh, international and, and national. Uh, but I think uh, I think having people leave their CBD uh, have, been, have been difficult for retailers and hospitality, no question about that. Uh, the conditions are, are challenging, uh, and it is going to be a, a little bit of a challenge to get out of it as well. What does getting out of this look like to you? Because the medium term is so uncertain, it's a question about uh, how do we live with COVID, how do we live with the change, and what are the implications of what we've had? I'm interested, we, we talk about working from home and the future being that way. I'm a little bit contrarian on that. Mm. I think actually people enjoy coming into offices. I think they enjoy sharing culture, and actually we're curious about each other as human beings. I actually think we'll come back to the office more than we think and in, and in fact uh, office culture is something that people have really missed when they've been locked down. 
And do you think the public service has a leadership role to play in that and getting the ivory towers of Lambton Key back out at Mojo Cafes? That's a huge part of business, right? Huge, huge part. Something I, I bang on about regularly, I banged on twice in the last two weeks to the Prime Minister about that it is really important to get the public sector back in the city. Putting it in very reductive terms, use it or lose it. Yeah, good point. Have we seen business closures in the CBD? I mean, I know I've seen plenty of shop fronts that used to be thriving that are no longer, but what does the data show? The data is showing that business closures are happening and that business is under stress. And I think one of the issues that we really face here is that business is kind of treated monolithically with the solutions. So a hospitality entity is treated the same way as PwC. There's a kind of an assumption at the government that they send out their bills on the 30th and they go chasing them for a month afterwards, whereas the inventory, the cash flow, everything about those businesses is quite different and that's where the stress comes in because you can't maintain those knife-edge margins for very long. Local government obviously plays a role in every single... I can see you making the face. For everyone that's not watching right now, (laughs) he's he's making making a face. (laughs) So local government plays a huge important part in the development of cities, towns, it doesn't matter where you are in New Zealand. How do you think our council here in Wellington is going with its vision for the city and what do you think they need to do to support that recovery that you mentioned? I guess I'd start with business conditions. So what we have done as a, as a chamber and as Business Central has been very involved in consultations and discussions about what the future of the city will look like. But to be quite honest, the business voice is is not properly represented at council. And even if we got businesses involved in some of these discussions, they're under extreme stress to keep going. They actually are trying to work out in the last few weeks how to implement a whole new risk management strategy, not of their own doing, on the traffic lights. Now, that sort of thing means when do you have time to look at district plans, long-term plans and other other things to try to work out how you can participate in the future of the city. So what are we getting? We're getting an overweighted discussion from residents and ideological groups, perhaps um, a little bit on the green side, that to my way of thinking is fine. You need that diversity of opinion, but you are not getting the business voice and it's very difficult to get it in there. On the, on the topic of local government and where we're going, let's touch on Let's Get Wellington Moving for a moment. Obviously, that has been a hugely delayed consultation process. What is the business community's response to how much much of what's being proposed is likely to play out? I can tell you a couple of things. Uh, the, the main thing is the word was deflation. So I think the four options came out. Uh, I, personally, I wouldn't have put four options out because I think it harked back to option four, which was chosen many years ago to actually get this project underway. Yeah, haven't we done this before? Um, yeah, and that, and that was the feeling. And in fact, um, b- the businesses we spoke to uh, thought, you know, it's great to be looking at some of the big rocks. It's great to be looking at mass rapid transit and finally looking at the tunnels. But the reality is that a lot of businesses either don't have time or felt as though we'd been here before. The next step, which is really important, is to get people re-engaged. I mean, I, I reflected on this at the time that the announcement came out of these new four options. No one is against a city with great transport solutions. Yeah. There's actually quite a lot of optimism and enthusiasm when it was first announced. The reality today, people are looking, uh, I mean, one one uh, person in their 60s quipped to me, well, I'll be 88 by the time this is delivered. People just feel that that it's a promise uh, that, that may not be realised for the city. I think it is it is nice to see some movement with the consultation process, but That frustration is certainly palpable here. Tell us more about the role of industry associations, business representative groups, and actually having input to this rather than the business business owners and the business kind of managers themselves. The important thing is to aggregate 
some of the issues that businesses are facing and to take that through to the council for them to understand the business position. And one of the things that I would point out that doesn't get a lot of airtime is the issue of uncertainty. Mm. If you're running a business and you're waiting for these decisions to be taken and these changes to start happening, you make commercial decisions to stay or to go based on those issues. That's right. Add in COVID and you've got people signing six-month leases and declining to sign year leases for businesses in the city because there's just so much uncertainty. So that's one of the big implications that we don't talk enough about. And I think for business, um, what, what we need to do is to bring those ideas to um, to the table for council, get people to understand what it's like to experience this on you know really on the ground floor. The big question for me, I think, coming out of it also is, do we have a role to play in commenting on bendy buses versus um, versus tracks? Not really, in my view. I think I think if there's an issue that impacts business, I'm not an engineer, I'm not going to take a view on these things, but we do need to make sure that we're in the game making, getting that representation for business in aggregate. A lot of that is about genuine consultation as well. On the topic of moving businesses ahead and business success, really, how are your members feeling about what's going on in and around the Golden Mile? For those who are listening, the Golden Mile is the stretch that stems from the bottom of Parliament all the way along along Lambton Quay, up Manor Street and, and into Courtney Place. Look, it's a, it, one of those enduring hot topics. Why are we making the retailers, uh, retailers Wellington wait? Why are, we, why are we second-guessing things? Again, the consultation process goes on and on, and I think um, that the key is for those who are making these decisions to actually re-engage in person with, with the retailers, talk to them and understand how they feel. Um, aspirational drawings of, of the future and things are great, and we have to have a vision for the future, um, but ultimately um, really understanding how people feel is the key to good consultation. The last thing we want to end up with, which is the Albert Street example in Auckland, where those retailers were left by the wayside, some compensation, but in the end, none of what you just talked about ever really happened with those retailers. It's a great point, Byron, and I think for me, um, you know, let's be smart and say, what are the lessons learned from mm. from from that Auckland experience, and what what if we're implementing something here that's that that, that has an element of change? How do we do that smartly? One last um, thing is that Wellington, as you mentioned before, is it's an ecosystem of, re- of interdependent businesses, uh, procurers and the public service, but it has become known as a, as a tech and digital and creative hub. Uh, are those businesses in those sectors screwed because of COVID? Is the loss and the closure of the border causing such hardship that Wellington may lose that crown to others? What's your take on that? Those businesses have really three key issues, labour and skill shortages, and they can actually solve them themselves. They're quite, they say, look, give us, give us the opportunity to get the, the, the labour in and we'll be fine. But that leads to the second one, which is the border. They need the borders open for tech. We should prioritise it for tech, possibly. The people that we know are just waiting to come in and support these companies that are going to be the companies make a difference here in the future. The third thing is the state of the city, and there's no doubt a lot of them um, are around that kind of Courtney Place area, which is which is currently not in a good state. Um, that'll improve. We need to put effort into improving it, but it's very hard, as one of them said to me specifically, it's very hard to recruit somebody into your business if you're asking them, telling, you're saying, this is a great city, come and live here, and by the way, step over somebody who's homeless or find you know or, or feel unsafe yeah. in a public space. So there's a real risk there that um, that they'll make other choices. And dare I say it, there are cities waiting to pick up that mantle, mm. um, not least Christchurch, and that's the one that's most on my mind in that wow. sense. Good on you. My last question, just touching on what you've mentioned there around making this an attractive place to live, what's business's role in that? Business absolutely has a role. In fact, I think I think business can do a lot more 
for itself in that space. I don't think there's any great city of the world that was created by government initiative. Um, maybe Washington DC. If, you know, there's some there's some exceptions here. That and, the capital and probably cities, some of the worst um, cities yeah, in the world. Yeah, 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 yeah Canberra. Look, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and look, and look. Um, I say that a little tongue in cheek, but by the same token, you know, get the foundations right, lay them right, get the transport right, um, get the settings for the city right, and business does the rest. The, the whole art sector didn't spring up because of initiatives done by local government. It sprang up because there were people doing this and local government realised it was worth supporting. Mm -hmm. So let's get the sequencing right and then we get the great city as the outcome. I really appreciate that. Thank as you very much. As a Wellingtonian. Yeah. Proud but Wellingtonian. That's yeah. right. But before we leave, uh, as is tradition on the Iron Duke podcast, and our inter our international listeners and our local <laughs> listeners will be familiar with this by now. We're going to run you through a hot or not. So we're going to give you a couple of couple of key topics. We've both thought about Wellington ideas this week and just some current events. If you think it's good, give us a hot. If you think it's not, well, you let us know. See, the big question with the two of you is, is that who, is, who is so tough as do I get a grade at the end of this? <laughs> <laughs> we, we can arrange for that to happen. Maddie, kick us off. <laughs> Pravda scones. Oh, hot. Pigeon Park. Not at the moment. And my last one, topical, the blue team rising from the ashes. Let's go hot. Brilliant. A Wellington institution, Mojo Coffee. Hot. You mentioned this in the, in the interview, but light rail. Oh, this is a tricky one for me. Um, I mean, I can't go. I, I've got to go one. I'll go for hot with the light rail if they go for it. Let's let's get it going. Yeah, something. Fantastic. You know. And the last one from me is the band rotunda on the waterfront at Oriental Bay. What do you think of its state right now? Uh, look, I mean, even if you pulled it back to a fisherman's table, um, you'd probably be in the knot. But of course, <laughs> may I say that was the original. Uh, that was the original boat shed for the Arcus family. When they arrived in really? 1875, the, the Ban Rotunda is where it was, and they used to row out to Petoni to go to church in those days. So that there's a little an bit of amazing story. There's a little bit of welly history for you. Wow. <laughs> I pretty, love it. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. This has been really insightful. Really appreciate it. Great joining you. Around the trips. Thank you so much, guys. On that note, we'll see, we'll see you next week. week.